My name is William Marler. I'm 25 years old, I'm an animator, I do stand-up comedy, and I have cystic fibrosis. I also didn't leave the house for over four months. In this special episode of the podcast, I'll be helping to share real stories from real people affected by CF during the 2020 global coronavirus pandemic. Hi, I'm Craig. Hi, I'm Emma. Hi, I'm Laura. I have cystic fibrosis. And I'm coming to you straight from the lungs. Straight from the lungs. Straight from the lungs. When I was a kid, 2020 was a year that sounded impossibly far away. It was the year of flying cars, teleportation and time travel. Unfortunately, 2020 will instead go down in history as the year where the world went all wrong. If ever there was a year that needed turning off and turning back on again, this was it. In March 2020, the world went into lockdown to prevent the spread of COVID-19, a strain of coronavirus that was making its way around the world. The advice for the general public was to not leave home except for shopping, exercise once a day, or unless it was absolutely necessary. In the UK, People with cystic fibrosis, along with others in the vulnerable category, were told to shield. This meant not leaving home at all. You could open a window or go into your garden if you had one, but that was it. Back in January, which at this point feels like a million years ago, I actually went to Disneyland Paris with my partner Vicky. At that point, Covid was much more obscure, but Vicky was quite worried about it, even wondering if it was still safe for us to go. I was much more blindly optimistic. He'll be fine, we'll take hand gel just in case, but I'm sure there's nothing to worry about. Two months later, and I was now the one worried about how to stay safe. Looking back, Vicky was like the wise prophet that could foresee this coming before everyone else, because I certainly wasn't alone in not being as scared as I should have been. I think at the very beginning when it started to happen, I was very sort of naive to it and sort of very, uh, it's okay, I'll be all right. I'll just sort of keep an eye on things and make a decision myself, which I did do in the end. I did start isolating before we were advised to, but my sort of opinion on the whole situation changed really quite dramatically. I have this thing where the media, I feel like they really ramp things up and maybe take things a little bit out of proportion. But it was very scary to find out that, you know, this wave was going to hit us and we'd have to go into shielding. And it was quite a daunting time and like having to take all these extra measures to stay safe and well. Yeah, it does hit you a little bit. I just thought it's going to be something that just comes in for like a month or two, it'll all blow over, it'll be fine. Then reading more and more about it, it had become a lot scarier. To be honest, at the very beginning, I don't think I fully understood the weight and the months ahead that we had to endure. I felt like we would be sort of in lockdown for maybe four to six weeks, which now in hindsight sounds ridiculous. But I don't think I realised just how long and how difficult it was going to be for myself and many other people. I think at first I was sort of like, it's okay, it's okay, we can do this, we can do this. And then if you watch Friends, I was a bit like, Ross, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm absolutely fine, it's all fine. And I just got a slightly more manic with each time. Vicky and I decided to shield a week before the rest of the UK went into lockdown 
and to be honest, it didn't impact us too badly. We both work from home anyway, and were quite comfortable staying inside. We obviously couldn't go out for shopping, but we had some very generous neighbours and friends that helped us out. For Katie, things were very different. Right before lockdown, I was working in schools, so I was surrounded by children. I was traveling on public transit, so I was in the New York City school system. I was also living with four roommates at the time in a house in Brooklyn, and I just knew that the level of precaution we had to take would have to be much higher than we thought. And that became really obvious to me within probably a two-day period period where I went from, oh, like, you know, it's going to be okay no matter what, to I have to move. March 10th was my last day of teaching. By March 12th, I had been ordered by my doctor to move out of my apartment because my roommates were showing symptoms of COVID. One of my roommates was showing signs of pneumonia. My doctor emailed me about 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on March 12th. I had about two and a half hours to pack. I had a friend come pick me up because I couldn't get in public transportation. And then I coordinated a series of rendezvous, essentially, to get out of the city. My reasoning for getting out of New York was so that I would have more space, more safety from my roommates. And also, I thought at the time more access to resources. My hospital is New York Presbyterian Hospital in Harlem, which was the epicenter of the COVID epidemic. So I knew that if I were to take a turn and get this virus, that the resources for my hospital and my care would be so limited. And I just didn't have the faith or the trust to know that I could get quick access with the U.S. hospital system and going in through the ER. So I got out. I went to my hometown. My dad let me stay in his house. I was there with my cousin. I was very, very cautious and careful when I got there. I really kept in my own room. I cleaned every surface. But after maybe eight days of me being in this different county, 400 miles away from New York City, there were confirmed cases within Erie County. And my father, who's in his 60s, works as a physician assistant in internal medicine and was working in the local country hospital. So we had to quickly evaluate, okay, what are my options? Because if I stay with my dad, there would be a much higher risk of transmission. So I, after 11 days, had to come up with another plan and find a new shelter-in-place situation, which was so stressful. You know, I started contacting all these relatives, and I ended up staying in Vermont with my uncle, who is my dad's best friend, and I had access to the country. The population is a rural population. So there was not this risk of, you know, infringing for social distancing. I could still go outside in the yard, like unmasked. Like there were places I could be safely without a mask. And I lived in the apartment in the basement for two and a half months. So it was just such a whirlwind experience in even the physical journey of safety. 
Katie has since moved a third time to Hudson Valley, an area just north of New York City, to qualify for better medical insurance. At a time when the world was sick, her two and a half months in Vermont, though, sounded like a time of healing. The house that I was living in, it's actually where I used to go on vacation as a kid. We used to visit my uncle there. So it was a place where I felt like I was coming home. You know, I reflected and my family has moved a couple times over the years. So the house in Vermont is actually one of the most stable, actual physical homes in my life history. So it really did feel like I had this safety net underneath me and being surrounded by nature. I felt so at home just being in the mountains and being able to go hiking. That is something that I have a huge passion for. And as a person with CF, I see so many benefits from being able to hike and get outside and just have that rich, fresh air. It felt like such an absolute luxury. I, of course, love New York City. It was so funny because I kept this balance, having the nature, and then my social life was still so connected to Brooklyn because we started doing Zoom calls with my local bar regular friends. I had auditions. I was actually teaching during quarantine as well. I ended up launching my small business and taking that from just individual coaching sessions to actually creating Zoom classes for young students. So I taught K through nine. I had students and that was a really wonderful experience because we forget about the impact of this virus on children and their mentality. And the classes that I held were an important place for children to feel a sense of connection with, you know, new friends that were not in their classes. And they had a space where they could actually talk about their feelings and we got to express some of these feelings through words and it was such a beautiful experience. I ended up even having a showcase for them and they were able to invite their grandparents. It was so, so wonderful to see how even children are just so easily adaptable to these new world norms that we have during COVID. In general, Vicky and I were able to get on with shielding without too many difficulties. We certainly didn't have to move over 400 miles to feel safe like Katie. Saying that, it definitely has been difficult at times. Just small things that eat away at you. Running out of cereal and not being able to quickly grab some more, even though the supermarket is literally 100 metres away. Having a book delivered to the wrong address and not being able to go and get it. And eventually feeling so trapped that all you want to do is just go for a walk. Like many people, Craig has struggled with feeling like his life has been turned upside down. I felt like my life where CF hasn't really affected my life, say, day to day, because I've been relatively lucky with my health and being healthy, being able to do whatever I have been able to do day to day, that all of a sudden CF is the one thing that has, on this occasion, stopped me from being able to go to the shops, be able to go and see my friends and like going forward, I know it's for the general public as well, but not being able to go to concerts, not being able to go to the pub, go to a restaurant, things like that. It 
all of a sudden my civil liberties are, are, are taken away. Um, and I know it's for my own safety, but you can't help but feel that life has just been taken away from you. I, mean, I know it's got, we probably have experienced that from going to hospitals every so often, but I've I've not really ever been in a hospital that, that often. I've only been admitted twice in my life, so over 35 years, to all of a sudden me stuck inside for four months being a prison home. home it was, it's been hard to take. On top of a new job that I'd started and a newborn baby with sleep deprivation thrown into the mix with trying to learn new skills and it just got to the point where I was so close to breaking point that I just had to I just had to stop something. I had to just stop working so that I can just concentrate on me a little bit. And even then that's tough because I've got to concentrate on my wife and child and it's been particularly rocky on that side. So it's led to me thinking, okay, well, like for the first time in a very, 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 very long time, I've kind of resented having CF because I feel like if I didn't, then I would at least have a tiny bit of freedom to be able to maybe go to work, have some sense of normality, but my new normal I've not gone on with at all. I do feel like I will be a different person out after this i'm sure there's a lot of people that will feel very different after this as well because it's we've been so wary of other people who not knowingly carrying a virus and then all of a sudden we can go out and go to the shops and things like that and i just don't have that confidence yet i just i feel like once once we're back to normal that's where i feel safest because then i know that the threat is no longer there or we have a vaccine that is able to combat that threat and i just don't feel that confidence that i had just being able to do day to day is there as much anymore it is a bit of a struggle. Even my wife, she's following the shielding guidance, so she's not going to the shops, anything like that. And she's terrified once the maternity leave ends because she's worried that she would then end up being in contact with anyone who's been on the road who is asymptomatic. And even if she works from home, she's then got the thought of, right, I'm having to work at the same time as me working from home with a one-year-old. It's just not going to be possible. And all, all our childcare options are not there either. We just don't want to run that risk with Dustin, although I think we'll be okay but it's a whole world of fear that we're kind of living or kind of revolving around right now it's just saps all your confidence of what we were able to do before and even then the new normal is just it just will never be normal to me although craig's confidence has been affected during this difficult time therapy sessions have helped him slowly build it back up that's given me a little confidence boost every so often to know that I'm doing okay, I am getting better, things will pass and it's and it's just given me a bit of hope for light being at the end of the tunnel whenever that may be and it is just a case of just not thinking too far ahead thinking okay right I, I just want this to end which I do think very often but it does help that when you're speaking to another person who's completely detached from your family and your friends and just takes you at face value and can start to notice the little quirks or your thought processes without any kind of judging or like they don't know you from what you've been like years and years before which some family members probably would fall into thinking you've done this you've done this you'll be fine whereas a, a therapist will be able to talk through things and say okay well I noticed this have you tried this and basically just try and build my confidence bit by bit talk about the things that I'm good at talk about the things that I've tried to do things that I've achieved and even with CF I know there's things that I've done that you say with someone with CF they wouldn't be able to do and I think it's just from that that just gives me a little bit of a lift to try and get through each day really As I mentioned earlier, whilst most of the UK was still allowed to go outside for exercise once a day, 
as shielders were advised to exercise from home. Usually, I'm an avid runner. I actually did the London Marathon five years ago. I'm not sure if I've ever mentioned that before. Obviously, I couldn't do that at home. Instead, like many people, I've relied on YouTube workout videos from people like Joe Wicks, the body coach. Although lockdown marked the end of my running journey for now, Emma found it to be the start of hers. I was with a PT from September 2019 after I started some Kevy. It gave me the opportunity to ramp up my exercise. And I'd been working with her up until we went into shielding. And it really made a difference to my lung function, my hospital admissions, how well I was doing, my quality of life. Obviously, alongside the drugs, it's in Kevy, but the exercise was definitely, you know, a big part of how well I was doing. So I kind of had a bit of a panic when I couldn't see her anymore. But it also gave me the confidence to try running. And it was kind of the only sort of cardio I could really access at home without a gym without a PT that was still relatively safe because I was able to do it away from people but still outside so I started with a catch to 5k up in March and that's that's kind of how it begun I'm up to week seven um, and then I fell poorly about three weeks ago and I had to take a break from the running because it was just impossible through coughing and all that jazz. But I got up to seven weeks. So on week one, I did a minute run and then 90 second walk and, you know, over like 15 minutes. And I kid you not, one minute of running, I thought my body had gone into shock and I was going to faint. But by week seven, I was able to do a 25 minute run without stopping. So it's been quite a journey and a massive achievement. I'm not quite at the end yet, but I feel like I've nearly made it it's changed my life like I absolutely love running and the actual program that they've put together there is fabulous like when I started I couldn't ever imagine getting to week seven I couldn't ever imagine running for more than five minutes every time they up your time you get that sort of feeling of there's no way I can do that and then you go well just give it a go just try see what happens you can always repeat it until you smash it and then you do it and it's it's kind of surreal hearing about Emma's newfound passion for running is making me more keen than ever to put my trainers on, put my music on loud, and eat up the miles. I know that once I can run again, I'll never take that freedom for granted, and after several months of shielding, I'm sure it'll help me get fitter. Exercise is such a vital way to keep healthy when you have cystic fibrosis, even more so for children with CF. Kirsty has been finding new ways of getting her two kids, Jacoby and Willow, to stay active while stuck at home. YouTube's been a godsend for us because they've been doing dance classes and PE classes, yoga, a lot of music as well. If we put music on and there's people dancing, they're like, kids bop, (laughs) hang my head. Yeah, it's not the metal that I'm used to, but you know, (laughs) needs must. A lot of like old songs as well, you know, like Agadu and things like that. They still work, apparently, for getting kids dancing. So they've been quite useful. (laughs) Yeah, anything like that that gets them up and active has been a godsend. Because we've got the garden, it's been easier than it would have been if we'd just got a really small garden because we've got a really big trampoline on the back garden and they've got a lot of space to run around. We've got a football net and a basketball net. So it's quite easy to get them active if we just throw them outside in the garden, (laughs) release them into the wild on the grass for a little bit to graze and they're fine. (laughs) 
on days like today when it's been raining it's harder to keep them active but then we go to the youtube videos and we've got a really good game called i think it's called dash where you've got like different targets it's like a stand that you put the it's almost like a baton in it flashes the color that you've got to put them in so then you have to run around to try and find the target to put it in and we just put that all over the house and that gets them active and things like that but same as everything they just get bored eventually so just trying to mix it up and keep changing things for them to keep them engaged some days it doesn't work it really doesn't and we just end up just having the day just sitting and we just do the physio that we categorize it as different when they're being active running around we don't refer to any of that as physio even if it is their day's physio their physio is their aerobica and their pet mask they don't realize the other stuff is proper physio yet so we're still getting away with that and then some days they don't do the running around and things like that if they're tired or they're just over it they'll do their proper physio and then we'll just sit and watch films all day and things like that I think I've tried to give them a bit of leeway in deciding things like that because they're as frustrated as we are, I would imagine. They're bored. They want to go out. So we've tried to make allowances, but not letting them push it too far. It's a very fine line, I think. Not sure if we've got it right. My favourite film of all time is Ridley Scott's 1982 masterpiece Blade Runner. It's a work of visual art and musical genius. You can imagine how excited I was then for March, where I'd be able to see Blade Runner live. I'd get to watch my favourite film and that beautiful soundtrack played live on stage. Obviously, in the end, that never happened, and after originally being postponed to this September has now been postponed again to next September. Laura also had something postponed, although it can't have been as important as my concert. My fiancé and I uh, were due to get married in September. Okay, never mind. We've moved our wedding uh, to next year, as many, many couples have had to do, but we've got a mini-moon booked in September that I very much doubt we'll be able to go on. But I would love to be able to do that holiday if there was the chance to do it. It wouldn't be a mini-moon, obviously, because the wedding isn't until next year, but uh, it would be really lovely to still be able to go. And that's in Greece, in a beautiful island called Paxos, which sounds like heaven right now. I think it was around May we made the call. We had a couple of other friends and family members that were getting married sooner than us that had started to make the decision to move. We were looking at sort of what people were saying about how soon things were going to change. You know, it quickly became apparent that we were going to sort of have to make the call. And I think, to be honest with you, there wasn't like a big moment. We accepted it uh, because everyone else was doing the same thing. And actually, people are like, oh, how do you feel? And I felt a bit numb to it, to be honest with you, which sounds so sort of heartless because gosh I'm so excited but at the same time it's just it was just one of those things everyone's had to change plans everyone's had to sort of grieve for what 2020 was going to be and you know sort of move on but you know there's far bigger things going on in the world so I think we sort of accepted it and moved on quite quickly but the crux of it was is that you know obviously we don't know what things are going to look like in September and though weddings are now happening again 
I think they're very small and I think it's very limited and we just said there's no way we would ever be able to have the wedding that we wanted or we planned and I mean we don't even know if we will be able to next September either but fingers crossed things will be back to normal by then and you'll be able to at least hug your wedding guests that would be nice but yeah we, we were very much of the view of you know if, if it can't be what we want it to really be in the day that we've dreamed of then perhaps it's, it's not right to push it and also you know me being in the high category there's myself to sort of think about but also you know, family and friends who are in a similar position or who are elderly putting them in a position where they felt you know, like they had to put themselves at risk in any way would never want that so it was one of those things that just sort of slowly became very very clear and so we just sort of accepted it and uh, and moved on but I know a lot of people that found the whole process very difficult and I know a lot of people really really sort of struggled with having to do it but myself and my partner were quite pragmatic about the whole thing I think. Not only has Laura had to postpone her wedding to next year, at the end of June, she also had to go into hospital. For most people with CF, that's quite a common occurrence. In the middle of a pandemic, though, Laura found it to be a brand new experience. I'm here for what could be a three-week stay, which is quite a daunting prospect considering the level of restriction in place. So I'm not allowed to leave my room without a porter or without a physio. So once a day, a physio will come and I can go for a walk, which is nice. Uh, we have been outside a couple of times, but some, sometimes I have just been around the hospital, obviously wearing a mask at all times. No visitors whatsoever. I have been able to have the occasional delivery, but it, we've had to sort of schedule it so the nurses know it's coming and they can go and retrieve it. But yeah, no, no visitors at all and um, not much leaving the room. So the cabin fever is certainly setting in. I've been here, it was a week yesterday. It is likely to be another week. I'm really trying to get out as soon as possible, but I'm on a new course of antibiotics, which are really strong and require lots of monitoring from a levels perspective. So lots of tests. I've, I've had literally at least a blood test a day. There when I first came in it was like two or three blood tests a day so there's lots of levels and last week I was I was really quite out of it to be honest with you they really knocked me to six which meant I kind of slept much of week one which may be why it felt relatively manageable but I hit a bit of a wall at the weekends we all know that the weekends nothing really happens in hospitals so the days are much quieter and it just so happened to be the 4th of July, which in the UK was declared our own Independence Day because the pubs were open. <laughs> so everyone went to the pub and I uh, stayed in my room. It was a, a bit of a tough one. I think, oh gosh, I, emotionally, it's, it's uh, been quite a mental challenge. I realised that I've, you know, I've been going into hospital at least once a year, many, many times, multiple times a year my whole life. It was 30 years and my mum has visited me or stayed with me every single admission my last three decades and this is the first admission that I am doing completely alone and it's although everyone else is still living a a slightly limited life and life isn't normal outside of these four walls it does feel like a whole new level of isolation I can't help but feel sort of completely cut off from the world and and like I'm sort of fighting this battle in my own little bubble it's it's been a bit of a test of strength and resilience because it's not been the the most fun in terms of the treatment itself and I really haven't been all that well and I've really battled with this idea of I guess guilt around telling people what's going on because I I know how worried my friends and family and fiance are I know they're worried about me obviously naturally but there's nothing they can do there's nothing they they can bring me there's nothing they can send me so it's very much me sort of fighting the battle on my own and I've been quite apprehensive about what I share 
with them, which I, I know they would hate to hear. But at the same time, I, I don't want anybody to worry any more than they need to. So I'm only really calling people when I'm feeling really good and I can talk with loads of energy. And the rest of the time, I reject the calls. But uh, yeah, it's been a, a very strange experience thus far. And I mean, I'm currently still remaining sane. I'm really adding structure to my day. Luckily, I, I am occasionally working, which I know a lot of people will tell me off for, but it does keep me connected to the outside world. But, you know, making sure that I'm exercising. The physio guys have been fantastic. I've got a bike in the room. I've got some weights. And as I mentioned, I am able to go out for the occasional walk. So the physios have been incredibly supportive. But, yeah, trying to add structure to the day by, you know, sort of exercising, have my shower time, try and look forward to the food, though I know that's often pretty difficult. I was allowed a takeout on Saturday night. So I had a takeout on my own in my room watching uh, Disney+. Plus. Uh, so, yeah, it's been an interesting few days. Although the pandemic has understandably been on my mind constantly since it started, I sometimes have to remind myself of what exactly we're actually shielding from. This is a virus that is killing people and making others very ill. Being in hospital meant that Laura was closer than ever to that reality. The hospital I'm in is a specialist lung and heart, and so they had full COVID wards, some of them red, some of them green. And just talking to them about the period of time where things were really bad, it does just sound awful. Really intense, long days, very stressful, full PPE for hours and hours on end. And they did lose a lot of people, a lot of people were on ventilators. It was a really, really awful time by the sounds of things. And actually talking to them has really brought back home to me really what this pandemic was about. I feel like so many people have got caught back up in the fact that, you know, the pubs are opening and go out. And actually, it kind of feels like it's easy to forget what actually is happening and what is behind those numbers and those all that data that's reflected in the restrictions on, on life. And actually being more exposed to the environment, you know, ground zero, if you want to call it that, you know, the real front line, being exposed to that and really kind of hearing how scary it was has really brought it back home to me, just how awful it was and how dangerous it was, I suppose. There was a nice moment last week when I heard clapping in the corridor and my nurse had opened my door and she said, someone's leaving, they've been discharged and they've been in for weeks and weeks, I don't know how many, but this person they didn't expect to go home because they'd been in a coma for a long time and amazingly the team you know, were able to nurse him back to health and able to clap him out the door last week, which was an amazing moment. And all of the nurses are really emotional and you know, they're fully invested here and this is real people. And it's interesting sort of being close to the front line, just um, how big and scary and intense it all was. Hi Sam, you alright? Yeah, good, thanks. You? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Um, so the reason uh, I got you to call me is, obviously at this point in the podcast, I'd have like a relevant joke from a stand-up show I've performed, but obviously I've not performed for months, so I can't do that. Okay. I was thinking of doing a joke about lockdown being an especially good time for David Copperfield. You know, because... He does a lot of magic tricks where he's literally locked down. Huh. 
Yeah, it's not very funny though. Mm. Well, look, we could always just reenact this Skype conversation talking about that joke and use that instead, like a kind of self-referential meta kind of thing. Oh, uh, yeah, sounds good. Cheers, Sam. No worries, mate. During lockdown, people were told to work from home if possible. Eventually in the UK, some people were put on furlough, meaning they weren't working but still received 80% of their normal pay, and other people lost their jobs altogether. Given this horrible situation, I really appreciate how lucky I've been to keep myself busy with work. I'm a freelance animator and designer, and just before lockdown, I started working with educational YouTuber Tom Scott. Usually, Tom's videos are on a variety of topics, such as computer science, language, and amazing places around the world. He suddenly found himself unable to travel to any of these amazing places though, so I animated around 10 of his videos from afar, most of which he filmed on a small home green screen. These videos have been viewed over 18 million times. I've actually had some fun appearing in some of them too, sweeping up Tom's home cinema and popping out of a hatch door in his basement to fix his green screen. I've been a big fan of Tom's for a long time, so to go from watching his videos to regularly animating and appearing in them has been completely surreal. Charles had a similar experience with comedian Matt Lucas. I wish there was some sort of like amazing story other than the fact that I just tweeted him and I sort of said, I've seen you've been doing all these baked potato duets. I'd really love to do one with you. I sort of explained a little bit about me and my situation. And at the time, I was just about to celebrate my two year transplant anniversary and uh, there was a big change in the law coming up. So I sort of said it would be great if we could do something to just sort of highlight that. And there was also at the beginning of June, I think it was, there were changes to everybody else, but not high risk people at that point. So I sort of said, you know, it'd be great to sort of still highlight the fact that high risk people and vulnerable people still need to isolate, still need to shield. And he really liked the idea, but he sort of said, you know, I don't want to just do it with a backing track or I'd like to freshen it up. Have you got any ideas? And I sort of came up with the idea of recycling everyday household items to make the, the soundtrack. Hi, Matt. Hey, you're right. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. How are you feeling today? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Excellent. Let's get started then. Baked potato changed my life. Baked potato showed me the way. If you want to know what is wrong from right, you must listen to what potato says. We used beer bottles blowing over the top to hit the notes and shoes for some percussion and a big cardboard box for some boomy bass. And yeah, it was really cool. I was really happy with it in the end. And, and once I sort of created it and sent it to him, he was like, I love it. I love it. I'll, I'll record my part today. And when we finally got it all together and sent it to him and he was happy, he recorded his on the Wednesday and then it was posted on the Thursday. So it all happened quite quick. Baked potato. That was very nice. Cheers, Matt. My pleasure. 
I meet some really, really cool people and, and work with some really cool people in my life. But every single time, it's just that constant reassurance that they're just normal people. They appreciate a Twitter message as much as anybody else. If if somebody are, you know, like you messaging me, do you want to come do this episode of the podcast? Yes, I'd love to. The same with me messaging Matt Lucas. Or I think the first time that I sort of realized that was when I, I met Tom Fletcher and he introduced himself. I, found, I just found that so weird because it's so obvious to me who he was. I was like, I know exactly who you are. Why are you telling me who you are? But to him, you know, he just got someone to go, hi, I'm Tom. Do you know what I mean? It was, and I think that for me, you know, people think that this world of celebrities is so far from our own, but at the end of the day, they are just normal people. And sometimes all it takes is a little tweet to just say, do you want to do this? And they're like, yeah, yeah. As a singer and actor, Charles currently has his work life put on hold, including a one-man show, which he's had to postpone till February. So it's really great to see him adapt and still be creative during this challenging time. Katie has also had to rethink what it means to be an actor during lockdown. I'm personally very thrilled to see how communities have been able to come together during this time. And we've been able to really reshape some of our styles of connecting. Last night, I had the great honor of performing in an off-Broadway play. I was not in New York. I was in the Hudson Valley. And we were all together on Zoom. So we actually figured out how to perform a live theater performance on the Zoom platform. We had virtual backgrounds that were all period because it was set in the 1940s. I was all alone in my apartment and was changing lipstick, like changing outfits. I had, you know, maybe eight costume changes. So I did the whole arc of what it is to be a live actor within my home. And it was such a wonderful experience that actually created more accessibility for this medium and this art form than I have seen in so long. Like my 94-year-old grandfather was able to see me without leaving his home. I had family members from Michigan, from Chicago. So many people from all over the U.S. were able to join together, you know, internationally as well. We had, you know, viewers from England as well. And I thought, this is reshaping things. This is what it is all about. I think it's really funny being a person with cystic fibrosis because we have the CDC protocols already in place. And we've also known what it's like like to live in contact isolation during our hospital stays. The last time I was hospitalized was in October of 2019. Literally like a month before we discovered COVID, I was hospitalized and I was actually directing, starring and co-producing in an off-off Broadway show at the time. So I had to figure out in October 2019 how to direct a show on Zoom. And I am so grateful for the experience that cystic fibrosis has provided for me, where I can actually know how to survive in these times. I like to make a joke that COVID is just my subculture becoming the norm. (laughs) On the 6th of July, 15 weeks since the start of lockdown, the UK relaxed their guidelines for people shielding. They could now meet up to six people from other households outdoors, 
A month later, on the 1st of August, the shielding guidelines paused altogether in most of the UK. It was now down to us to decide. This is something Vicky and I have really struggled with since the pandemic first began. It's totally impossible to know for sure if you're doing the right thing. Where is the correct place to sit on a spectrum between being too reckless and being too cautious? Now that lockdown is starting to relax, there's such a heavy weight of responsibility on individual people to come to their own conclusions and do what they think is right. Unlike at the beginning, where there were strict rules affecting people worldwide, and it felt so much more like we were all in this together. Over the past few months, it feels like those that are shielding have been completely forgotten about. On the 2nd of August, the day after shielding ended in the UK, Vicky and I left the house for the first time in over four months. We walked about a quarter of a mile away from our home and back again, and it was actually really nice. It was around seven o'clock on a Sunday morning, so there was barely anybody around. We wore masks, which was a bit weird at first, but we got used to it. And surprisingly, it didn't really feel all that unusual. Saying that, we're still not fully ready to start leaving the house on a regular basis again, and I really don't know when we will be. If shielding has been difficult for vulnerable people, I feel like our journey back to the outside world will be even more challenging. Kate knows this all too well. Obviously, I'd heard that us shielders could now finally go out for, for exercise. And, you know, you start seeing these posts on social media about everyone feeling a lot happier. And, you know, it's been amazing for their mental health. And it's been so refreshing to them to go out for a walk. <laughs> and then there's me. <laughs> and I walked to the top of my road purely because I needed to film a backdrop for a green screen. That's the only reason I went out. Of course it was. So it was just basically a camera on a tripod just filming a background for five minutes. I started walking at the top of my road and I could feel that my hands were clenched and my shoulders were tight and my jaw was clenched and my you know tongue was stuck to the roof of my mouth and I was like okay here we go. Got to the top of the road and just set up everything and stood up there for about five minutes but during those five minutes of course CF had to come in somewhere and I started having a coughing fit. It's just like this little green bit at the top of my road but there were people sort of walking around. I went at half seven in the morning because I didn't think there'd be anyone out but everyone's out at half seven in the morning god damn yeah there were people sort of walking dogs and stuff and I started going into a coughing fit and that's just when the anxiety really sort of kicked in because I was like everyone around me is going to think that I have coronavirus and I'm being really selfish and they're going to judge me for coming out and you know what are they going to think sort of thing and it just it just got too much it got too much so I just packed up everything ran back home home pretty much walked through the front door and just sort of burst into tears was like wow that did not go well that wasn't good for my mental health like everyone else was saying it would be it was a bit of a bad experience to begin with I didn't experience that you know refreshing feel that everyone was talking about and I just thought wow this is going to be a pretty long journey I think for me to get back to normal I think especially with coughing anxiety as well. I think that's definitely going to be heightened now with this whole coronavirus thing. I think the mental health repercussions are going to be quite severe for a lot of people, I reckon. That was pretty much the first time I went out. Everyone will have different reactions to finally leaving the house. Like Kate, you might be really anxious to go back outside again. Like Vicky and I, 
you might start to feel a bit more comfortable to leave home. Or, like Charles, that freedom might be the very thing you need. I found myself sort of going out on a cycle ride and things like that because I found my body really sort of lethargic is the right word. It was really, you know, there was a lot of fatigue there. And so I really had to sort of start building up the muscles, start working the lungs properly again and things like that because I really struggled to find the motivation to do exercise. For me, it needs to be for another purpose. So, you know, cycling is to get somewhere or to go and see something. So I would say I want to go there today and I would cycle there, you know, or like football where you're having fun with your friends and things. I just don't enjoy sort of being in a gym on an exercise bike or anything like that. So I really did struggle with exercise until I was able to leave. The way that I see it at the moment is realistically, with what I'm doing anyway, it's no different to going sitting in my back garden. You know, I don't cycle on the you know main roads or down the high street where people are. I go out to roads that lead to the forest and the back roads there sort of thing. And I stay around the estate, uh, you know, the, the estate area that I live in and things like that. I take the information that's there and, and I try and make a sensible decision. And I think actually for me, when I started to go out, it was very much I need need to start getting out again. Not only do I need to start exercising my body to build up my strength, because otherwise it's really going to have a negative effect on me mentally and physically, but also I need to start building it up because hopefully work will commence again. And I need to have a body that, that will be able to cope with the work that I will be doing. And then, yeah, me and my girlfriend went out for a cycle ride and then we, we met up for a picnic in the big field somewhere and it decided to rain, but we just stayed anyway because we were so far from home. Well, not far from home, but we'd have to have cycled home and got wet anyway. So we just stayed there. One thing that I, you know, me and my girlfriend have really liked is how almost imaginative we've got to get with our sort of dates and the fact, you know, when we meet up. So we went and had Swedish meatballs in the middle of a field and I brought like these massive heat proof dishes. So I'd mash in one and the meatballs in another and green beans in another. And we went and ate it in the middle of a field. And it was really weird and we'd never done anything like that before, but that was really cool. So, you know, it started off with the cycling and the exercise and then slowly just using it as an opportunity to just see my girlfriend again and things like that. But I think the thing with all of this is there are rules and and then there is guidance i will use the guidance as a you can do this here's the information make your own decision not you must do this kind of thing so you know it was very much you can go out for one hour of exercise a day and so i would go do i want to go out for one hour of exercise well if i'm cycling i'm not being near anyone too much if i go over there in that particular area it's quite isolated from people and so yeah just made safe decision myself and yeah just slowly start to just try and do a little bit more normal things, I think, you know. Like Charles, Shaborn has gone back out into the world, even feeling ready to return to work. I did this because A, I spoke with my nurse and we both said how staying inside like I was at that time, it just isn't good for you. It isn't good for your mental health. It isn't good for you physically. And where my job and what I do is so people focused, I really miss that social interaction. I really miss my job and I really miss being out there. And also, I do not feel unsafe in my job. I work in a small shop, in a small building. It doesn't get crowded ever, really. And my manager has been really understanding, really helpful. She has put safety measures in place. She went out and got me a face shield. I wear an apron. I wear gloves for like refills that we do and things like that and handling cash. And we are pretty much always a metre apart from 
from the customer a meter or two meters apart we're never in people's faces so I felt safe and I discussed it with my mum and dad and we said if I was working say somewhere like Tesco in a really busy job where there was loads of people then I'd probably take a step back and think okay that's not a good idea to go back to work yet but like I said where I do work I don't feel like I'm putting myself at a really high risk I think you just have to let people do what they have to do and what they feel comfortable with. I've had conversations with a friend of mine with CF and she saw something I posted about going back to work and she was like, oh, you're going back to work. Um, How do you feel about that? Like, are you sure? Have you discussed it with the team and everything? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I have. And honestly, I don't feel like I'm putting myself under threat because I know where I work and, you know, my manager's put safety measures in place, etc. And she was like, I work in dentistry and I was like I can't tell you yes or no you know it has to be your decision it has to be what you're comfortable with I can't tell you and no one else can you just have to do it when you're ready and when you're comfortable the world has completely changed over the past five months and it may be a very different place for the rest of our lives. I have no idea when the pandemic will be over, but I've said since the very beginning that it will never be forgotten about. We've lived through history in the making. We've lived through an event that will be taught in schools for centuries to come. I do think that it will be easy to look back though and say, do you remember that time when the world came together and fought a deadly virus as one? And I'd really love to say yes. But honestly, I don't think I'll remember it like that. I'll remember Vicky and I feeling lonely, scared and confused. Not because a global pandemic had started, but because of not knowing what to do when it seemed to have ended for everyone else. We've both had to remind each other that it will end. This isn't the new normal. It's a disturbing anomaly, a blip in history that will be gone at some point. Who knows when that will be, but we will be on the other side eventually. It won't happen at the same time for everyone, and that's okay. You are only ready when you are ready. Not when your family is ready, not when your friends are ready, not when the news says that you should be ready, when you are ready. Over the past four months, I've thought about what I'd love to do once this is all over. Like a lot of people, I'm so excited to see my friends and family again. Properly, not from the other side of the room, not with masks on and no hugging, properly seeing them again. I'd love to have some sort of party or barbecue and invite everyone round and fully appreciate the whole experience. Vicky and I have also got our wedding to plan, so finally being able to go and see venues will be really exciting. I also picture us being back at Disney World in Florida, not having to worry about any of this mess ever again. I don't think I'll ever take freedom for granted again. Oh, I really want to go on holiday. I travel quite a lot and I'm lucky to travel with work and yeah, lucky to have been to some amazing places. So I'm, I'm very looking forward to getting away. That would be very nice. So, so yes, a holiday, please. 
I want to have my nieces back for a sleepover. They were regular attendees at auntie sleepovers, probably like every couple of weeks. And I haven't had my nieces over or seen them or given them a hug for so long. It's been really difficult. You know, I think people underestimate the power of human touch. And that's what this pandemic's highlighted is how important it is to have, you know, a community and your friends and your family and the people that you need in your life to, to lift you up and keep you going. I think that's what people have struggled with, not being able to hug their loved ones when they need it. I think I'd really like to go on a shopping trip because <laughs> I've really missed that. Like, I really miss the hustle and bustle of going out somewhere. And because obviously at the moment you're constantly thinking, stay like two metres away, you know, and you don't know what others are thinking. Like, we've had some really interesting conversations in where I work. But, you know, if you don't social distance, what are people going to think of you then? Like, are they going to think you're reckless? If you do social distance, are they going to think you're being rude and you're going to think there's something wrong with them? So I really miss just that hustle and bustle. And yeah, I don't know, I guess normal, like just walking down the street and being comfortable about it and not feeling like you have to take precautions. I actually think something just as simple as going out for a meal with my girlfriend, it, it's something that we did quite a lot, actually, just go out for food. And uh, I really like it. I'm, I love cooking. So, you know, but there's there's nothing nicer than going and having somebody else cook for you and just being, able, you know, one on one time with her and being able to talk to her properly face to face. And, you know, even just the car journey there and things like that, just that, that whole sort of experience, you know, for me, you know, I think it just wants to be something that is almost quite a mundane and quite a regular thing for me and her at least you know is definitely something that we do at least once or twice uh, at least once a week for sure yeah I think that it's something just as simple as that just being able to go out for a meal to be honest with you when I quit my job because um, my dog died and then I just didn't go back to work and then we were in lockdown so I didn't say goodbye to any of the dogs that I'd walked so that's definitely something that I want to go and do when I feel like I can to go and see all my dogs again and just say goodbye properly rather than not saying goodbye at all. <laughs> There's two things for us. One would be to have all of our family, close but extended family, over for a barbecue and a get-together just for the kids to all see each other, our, their cousins and things like that, and our friends' children. And the second would be to start planning Willow's holiday because we were supposed to be going to Disney World for Willow's wish trip which has had to be postponed until next year. But now we're not sure if it will happen next year either. So at the moment, that's the sort of thing that we're working towards, even though it could be two years away. We sort of said, we've got that to look to. That's going to happen. We just don't know when it's going to happen. So that's kind of our light at the end of the tunnel that we're working towards, I suppose. We said, oh, when all this is back to normal, we can eat lots of ice cream and go on lots of rides and go and meet the princesses because that was what Willow's wish was and just have fun and just let loose a little bit. We've said to the children as well, you'll be bigger so you'll be able to go on even more rides. So I've got another year's worth of telling them to eat the vegetables so that they'll grow bigger out of Disney. It's great. <laughs> got another year's worth of bribery out of it it's fantastic <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Well, of course, being me, I cannot wait to be on the stage again. That is my ugh, my biggest joy is being on the stage with a live audience and having that connection in person. And I think when that happens, it's going to be even more valuable as an experience because people realize the preciousness of it. So I'm really excited for that. I'm interested what dating is going to be like, quite frankly. It's going to be really interesting navigating that dating-wise. What is socially acceptable in time of COVID? Checking if you got the vaccine, if you have the antibodies, like, before we can have an in-person date. Like, it's going to be really interesting to see how that evolves. I think the first thing I will do is drive to London and see my family, have me and my wife and my son, and just let my parents hug their grandchild for the first time in what will be close to a year and just be able to catch up on the time that everyone else has has missed out as well as myself and I would just like to just go to the shops <laughs> I just like to go and buy myself a sandwich or a can of fizz and be able to just do what I was doing before freedom is a privilege not something that I will ever take for granted and I probably will end up saying to people that, that they will need to realise that when they're in a position to be able to go to work to be able to drop their kids off at school be able to see their friends although from a distance that was a privilege I'm hoping that I can probably get to a few people that I'll see whether they're friends of mine or not and just make them realise how lucky they were and how lucky that they are. Straight from the Lungs is produced by me, William Marler. Thank you to Charles, Shaborn, Craig, Emma, Kirsty. Katie, Laura and Kate. As always, thanks to Sam Lewis for his keen ear and ever helpful advice. The beautiful music you heard was by Ben Weatherill. Make sure to head over to our website, lungspodcast.co.uk, where you can find extra breaths from me and my guests, which is all the bits that didn't make it into the main episode, and illustrations by Vicky Neville. There, you'll also be able to listen to episodes 1 to 8 and all the past extra breaths as well. If you need advice about leaving home for the first time or returning to work, check out the links in the show notes. Unfortunately for now, I can't travel to Birmingham City University to record any more episodes of the podcast, so it might be a while till I return. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram, at Lungs Podcast, to find out when I'm back. But don't worry, as soon as I can, I'll be recording the next episode, because there are so many amazing stories waiting to be told. Here's a little sneak peek of what's still to come. I've just got settled down to sleep and my grandma had just got settled in the chair next to me and she was like, your phone's ringing, Catherine. So I got it. And they were like, Catherine? I was like, yeah. We think we've got you a liver. And at that point, I just burst into tears. So I came off the phone and grandma looked at me and went, what is it? I went, they've got one. We may have scars or feeding tubes or, you know, any number of other things that might, you know, have us feeling self-conscious or insecure. And having a project like the Salty Girls, these people are beautiful. Maybe it gives me confidence, too, to be able to accept myself and think, okay, well, I'm beautiful, too. Many people, after Jess's passing, would message me and say, you were really her soulmate, you were all she talks about when she talks about her friends. And I think, yeah, actually, I was. Until then, wear a mask, be kind, stay safe, 
and thanks for listening.